Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be with you all this morning, especially if it's your first time with us here at West Bowles, maybe your first time in a long time. We are so honored uh, that you've chosen to join us this morning. It's really been our prayer, our hope as a staff, uh, that two things happen each and every week as you join us uh, throughout the, uh, the Sunday or throughout the week and spend some time with us. We hope and pray that you will be encouraged and embraced by this community and that you will be empowered and enlivened by the Holy Spirit. And so we're praying that over you, and we hope that that will happen for you today. So again, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, real fast, something about Ryan and his man points. He would get more man points for being in fantasy football if his team name weren't the Pretty Pretty Princesses. Okay? That's not only negative, Ryan. That's off the chart. All right, before we go any further, I need your opinion on something. I need you to, to tell me if this hat looks okay. On me. Is this all right? Is it okay. All right. All right. Just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> Heard you guys like this football team out here called the Broncos. So, A few weeks ago, we unveiled and kind of rolled out for you our ministry theme, our ministry focus for the year, the power of one. You've heard Ryan mention it a little bit. Uh, go online, check out the bulletin. Go back and listen to the sermon that we did that week to, to explain to you what was really happening through that it's really just a set of seven different challenges, seven different ways for you to live out your faith, for you to put into practice the words written above uh, this stage. And we are just so excited to see what God is doing with those seven things. Those seven things range from inviting people to memorizing scripture to unplugging for a week to giving more of your time or your talents or your treasure to this church. And, and it's just been great to hear the stories. Uh, a few weeks ago, we, we gave over $700 to someone in need in this church. This last week, we gave over $750 from your $1 donations to a single parent in our church that has just been serving us so faithfully. Uh, this week, we're excited to see, to see what we get, to see what comes. Uh, people are donating more time, more families are coming. We're excited to see all the babies and all the people, and thank you, church. Uh, keep it up, keep it up, keep doing those things because the Lord, again, doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll jump into our Sacred Letter series. Father, we thank you so much for a new day. And as Rebecca said, although there are struggles and stressors in that day, we thank you for it. It's a good day. We are alive. We have air in our lungs and life in our bodies and people around us and opportunities. And so we give you thanks for that. And we just ask that we would give this day back to you, that you would take it and make it your own and that you would, you, you would use us, God, and call us to do things we wouldn't have otherwise. Bless this space and this time now. Would you speak as you did at Pentecost? and breathe life and power into each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I believe it was Forrest Gump's mama who first said, life is like a box of chocolates, right? You never know what you're gonna get. And I've always loved those little idioms and those little sayings, and so I've been developing a few of my own. And here's, here's the best one I have. Just hang with me for a second. Life is like checking the mail, you almost always end up owing somebody something. Or maybe life is like checking the mail. You almost always walk away more in debt than when you started. Or life is like checking the mail. You almost always end up with more junk than jewels. There's a lot of different ways to finish that sentence. But I think life is a lot like checking the mail. And I put this little picture down in the right-hand corner just to start preparing myself for what checking the mail means here in Denver. Oh, God, help me. Okay. 
But many of you know the feeling. You've had this experience multiple times throughout the course of the last week. You get home from work, from school, maybe from the gym. You take that long, exciting walk down the driveway to the mailbox. And chances are you don't have very high hopes. But if you're anything like me, in the back of your mind, you are secretly hoping that something valuable, something exciting, something life-changing is in that little mystery box. And yet, as you can see from the junk mail that I've received over the course of this last week, nothing too terribly exciting typically comes. Right? All you find typically is a bunch of junk mail. There are bills demanding something. There are, well, an Asian Chinese restaurant that looks pretty exciting. But there are catalogs telling me what I should own and don't own but need to own just for $19.99. There are flyers and ads telling me the life that I should have that I don't, right? It's amazing how the mail is a lot like life. There are people telling you what you owe, what you need, and what you're missing out on. Life for some of us is just kind of like a big old pile of junk mail. But every once in a while, when the sun is shining just right and there's a breeze out of the east, you stumble across it. Every once in a while in the pile of this mess, you come across it. Something that has the power to change everything. Something of infinite value and infinite worth. Not publisher's clearinghouse check. I wouldn't be mad if that did come. I'm talking about an invitation. Right? An invitation. Now, it could be something as elaborate and as ornate as this multi-layered, professionally designed wedding invitation, right? You open it up and a band starts playing, confetti bursts out. There's like four other invitations to other things inside of it. Or it could just be a simple handwritten birthday flyer saying, hey, I want you to come over. But regardless of what it looks like, regardless of the form that it takes, don't invitations have the power to change things? They can change your day. They can change your weekend plans. They can change your mood. I get an invitation and it's like, oh, shucks. Like, somebody likes me or wants more money, I guess. Somebody thinks it would be better if I was with them at this event. Somebody wants little old me around. Okay, okay, I'll go. And when that invitation comes from Christ... It not only changes your day or your weekend or your mood, this invitation has the power to change your life forever. See, Jesus, maybe more than anyone in all of history, seemed to understand the power of invitation. His life is full of so many invitations. He understands that our lives are full of worries and concerns and stressors. Most of the time, we're just overwhelmed with bills and ads and junk. And that's why I think in the middle of that mess, in the middle of this pile, in the middle of your life, he gives you an invitation. A few weeks ago here at West Bowles, we started a new series called Sacred Letters, where we're looking at the words of Jesus, the words in the Bible that are typically written in red. And we're focusing on these words for a myriad of different reasons, but primarily because the man who spoke these words, they come from somebody who can stand against all of temptation and not give in. Unlike me, where I give in to all kinds of different things throughout the week, Jesus stands toe-to-toe with the devil, and he doesn't give in, and he doesn't back down. I want to listen to a man like that, don't you? And these words also come from a man who has stood toe-to-toe with death itself and come out to live to talk about it on the other end. So the things that I give in to all the time and the thing that I'm most afraid of, Jesus is superior to them. 
He's superior over them. And so I want to listen to his words. And when you spend time in his words, you realize something pretty quickly. When you spend much time in the red letter words, you see a trend. Jesus is always inviting people to things. Let me show you a couple different examples. To the 12 young men that Jesus selected to be the disciples in Matthew 4, 19, he says this, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's an invitation. To the crowds who were tired and being crushed by burdensome religious requirements, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary, tired, burdened, I'll give you rest. See, it's an invitation to a crazy disciple who wants to do the unthinkable and wants to defy all laws of nature and gravity and walk on water, Jesus says, come on, Peter, come out of the boat. To those who have faithfully served God and selflessly served others throughout the course of their life, Jesus says this in Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed, into the inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world. To a group of men who are pretty distressed and pretty depressed. He says, come and have breakfast in John 21. And then at the end of this huge party, when everybody's pretty full, Jesus says, you're not quite full yet. Come to me, he says in John 7, 37. And if you're thirsty, come and drink. Oh, it's these invitations, one after another, after another. You could argue that invitation is the essence of Jesus' ministry. It's what it means to be in Christ, asking, calling, welcoming people in. He invites people to breakfast, to dinner, to the party, to the feast, to the celebration. He invites them to community, to fellowship. He invites them to experience peace and rest and abundant life. He invites them to step out in faith or experience more of God. He invites them to draw closer, enter more fully into the kingdom. He just keeps inviting people. It's if Jesus' favorite word is come. Come and see. Come and follow. Just come on. Christ's business, the business of the kingdom, is that of invitation. He's inviting us, again, amidst all the other junk that's out there, Christ is inviting us into something new, into something different, into something better. Ah, I got enough junk mail, I don't need any more of that. I need an invitation. I'd love to get an invitation. See, it's no coincidence that these words come are the words that, that, that immediately follow what we talked about last week. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what I think Jesus is saying. You see, God is on the move, and you need to be ready for it. We talked about that last week. But I don't want you just to be ready for it. I want you to be in on it. I want you to be a part of it. He basically says, you don't have to watch this from the sidelines. You don't have to hear about the kingdom of God and the movement of God from others. You can come and experience it yourself. The kingdom is here Come on! Satan tries to get us, doesn't he, to feel alone? More often than not. He tries to get us to feel like we're on the outside looking in. He tries to get us to feel like we're not welcomed, like we're not wanted. And some of you have given in to that. You honestly feel that way. But an invitation, especially from Jesus himself, that should change everything for you. An invitation that God wants you. An invitation proves that God wants you to be around. An invitation proves that God thinks things would be better with you as a part of it. An invitation undermines Satan's schemes. And so this morning, I want to take just a few minutes and look at that very first invitation that Jesus makes, the come and follow me and become fishers of men. It's a simple invitation, but I think actually the essence of it is the most profound invitation in all of the Gospels. 
I think what Jesus is saying in this invitation is this is an opportunity for us to reimagine, to rethink, to re-envision who we are, what we've been created to do, and where we're going. All right, sorry, I just got going really fast right there. I'm probably going to get an email. I'm sorry, we have it recorded. Go back. But this excites me, this invitation. Again, life is like this stuff. I don't want it, I can't afford it, I don't need it, and I owe you. I don't want any more of the junk. I want an invitation. And Jesus offers one. We read about this invitation in Matthew 5, Matthew 9, and where we're going to read it from is Mark 1. Let's do that now. Mark 1, 16. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will have you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who was also in the boat mending their nets, and he immediately invited them. And they left their father in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. All right, let's make sure real fast we're all on the same page as to what's happening here. A group of guys, anywhere between the ages of 16 to possibly 38, they're fishermen. They spend all day with stinky fish and stinky men. This is their life. This is their livelihood. And then all of a sudden, one day, this strange up-and-coming new rabbi walks over to them. And in the middle of what they're used to doing every single day, he says, stop what you're doing. Come and be a part of what I'm about to do. And for some odd reason, they do it. They drop everything they've ever known, and they follow after this Jewish rabbi. What just happened? I mean, it's a simple story, but it's a crazy story. How do you make sense of this? Let's see if we can't try. There's some debate over the social status of these fishermen, right? Some are, would argue, and most scholars would argue, that, that these guys, based on the fact that they're fishermen, they're more or less blue-collar workers. And it's actually worse than that. They're high school dropouts. They, they couldn't make it into college. They couldn't continue on in their education. So they had to learn the family trade. And it was fishing. You can call them the B team, the backups, the rejects. But most would argue that the disciples are on the bottom of the barrel economically and even further down in the barrel relationally. You don't make friends with the fishermen. Today's equivalent might be those poor folks at the zoo who clean up after the animals. I'm sorry if that's your job. We love you. We need you. Thank you for what you do. But we don't really hold you in high esteem, right? Becca and I went to, I don't know if I've told you this story already, but I'm, you're not going to be able to stop me even if I have. So... We went to the Rose Bowl Parade a few years ago in Pasadena, and, and right, the horses and the floats and these huge, huge things come through the streets of Pasadena, and behind some of the animals are these white guys in suits just cleaning everything up. But they're part of the parade, and what I loved most about it was the crowd cheered louder for them than they did for some of the circus acts. Like, way to go, animal scoopers. Animal scoopers, we love you. Some of them like twirled the things like, no, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> but we don't typically hold the animal scoopers in high regard. That's probably how the first century world thought of fishermen. Now, what's true, or if that's true, what's amazing about this is that the invitation of Jesus is given to those that others have given up on. If that is true, if they're at the bottom of the barrel, it seems as if Jesus is purposefully selecting and seeking and calling those others don't respect, those that others don't like, those that others don't have and hold in very high esteem. Jesus is inviting those who don't have it all together. 
those who don't earn it, those who don't deserve it, those who don't look good, and those who can't make Jesus look good. It's just the opposite. He's calling the lowlifes. And if we're honest, that's good news for us. That should be really good news for us. If we're completely honest, we're not exactly the best of the best either. If we're honest with ourselves, we've made our fair share of mistakes. We've done some things and had some things done to us that we're ashamed of. We're dirty. We're broken. We're flawed. We're messed up in one way or another. And yet Jesus comes by to a group of people and says, that doesn't disqualify you from kingdom service. I'm not going to use you despite your imperfections. I can use your imperfections for kingdom purposes. Jesus says, you're on the bottom. I don't care. I love people at the bottom. I excel at bringing people at the bottom up to the top. I love the B team. I can call the backups. I invite the screw-ups. Don't ever think otherwise. Oh, it's a great invitation, isn't it? But there are some scholars who would actually argue the opposite. There are some scholars who would say, the fishermen weren't at the bottom of the barrel. Fishing was a pretty lucrative business at the time. Fishermen were at the top of the ladder. Look at the disciples, they might have had multiple boats. So now we're talking about a little business going on here. The last two guys we read about had hired servants, it says. So they were upper management. I mean, we're talking about maybe a pretty well-off situation here. Now, if that's true, Jesus isn't inviting the down-and-outers. He's inviting the up-and-comers to be a part of what he's doing. I think he, that, that adds a very interesting twist because you see, regardless of what end of the spectrum you're on, the invitation, the essence of the invitation is exactly the same. If you're on this end of the spectrum, if you are poor and dejected, if you've more or less been forgotten by other people, if you've given up on yourself, Christ invites you to rethink and to reimagine what is possible. He invites you on this end to reconsider your story, to allow God to rewrite your story. And if you're on this end, if you're doing pretty well for yourself, if you're pretty high on the hog, if you're respected by others, you are still invited. And the invitation is still the same. He invites you to rethink and to reimagine what is possible. He invites you to rewrite your story with God as the author of it. I love that it quite could possibly be both ends of the spectrum are being invited here. One group thinks they'll never figure it out. Christ think, invites them to think again. One group thinks they have it all figured out. And Christ invites them to think again. One group thinks they have nothing to offer. They've missed their opportunity. They're second best. And Christ invites them to start thinking differently. The other group thinks they have everything to offer. They have it all figured out. They're the best of the best. And Christ invites them to think differently. So if you're on this end of the spectrum, the down and out, the least of these, Christ calls you to drop your fear. Drop your past, drop your regrets, drop your mistakes, drop your only ifs, your what could have been. Drop your labels that you have placed on yourself or have allowed others to place on you. Drop all of those things and allow God to rewrite your story. That's to this end of the spectrum. But if you're on this end of the spectrum, Christ says drop your resume, drop your connections, drop your achievements, your success, your 10-year plan, your look at me, your perfect social profile, drop all of that and rethink your life. Allow Christ to reimagine with you what is possible. I love that it's maybe the down and out. Some of us can relate to them. But maybe the invitation is given to the up and comers because some of us can relate to them. And Christ says to both groups, come. Now, rumor has it, we have some pretty good fishermen in our midst. 
not going to point any names out or anything, but I want to go fishing with you, first of all. Second, I'm afraid that most of us, though, even if we have some good fishermen in our midst, our fishing is pretty popular here in Colorado, not many of us really understand or relate to this call of Christ to drop our nets and follow him. We might not like fish, we might not like fishing, we might not like nets, and the combination thereof sounds hideous. So great, Jesus is calling me to drop my nets, I have no idea what you're talking about. So let me go a little bit deeper into this call of Christ, because I think this invitation to drop your nets and follow me, and I will have you become fishers of men, I think that invitation is what it actually means to be a Christian. I think responding to that invitation is what it means to follow after Christ. In Mark, it says to go after Jesus. The language might be a little bit different for you if Jesus were to give you the invitation, but I think it's the same. Let me show you how that might be true. The invitation to drop your net and to follow Christ. It's an invitation into three things. The first is an invitation to move from the earthly and into the eternal. Other ways of saying it is to move from the mundane to the majestic, from the ordinary to the extraordinary, from the finite to the infinite. In this invitation, I think Jesus is asking these young men to drop the things that are consuming their world, that are consuming their time, that is consuming their life. And if we're honest, the things that they're probably wasting their time and energy and life on. He'd basically be saying, drop your phone and come follow me. Drop the remote and come follow me. Drop the Cosmo magazine and come follow me. Drop the iPad, the iTouch, the iHome, the iLife, the i Drop it all and follow me. Drop the mirror and follow me. Drop your bank accounts and follow me. Drop those things that are consuming you and allow me to reimagine and rethink with you what this life is all about. Start thinking past paying the bills and getting food on the table and what your number needs to be to retire comfortably. Stop thinking about all that and start thinking about eternal things. This life, it matters, but it's this long. You are going to live this long afterwards. How about we start thinking about this life now? See, our nets are those things that we voluntarily, maybe even involuntarily, devote ourselves to. It's the things that we take Let's take up most of our time, right? It's the things that we devote ourselves to. It's the things that we think about when we're not really thinking about anything. It's the things that we default to, that we rely on, that we stress out about. Here's the problem, though, with our nets. Whatever our nets might be, it might be our job, it might be our status, it might be our, our looks. Whatever our net might be, it's a finite focus, and it's a predictable pursuit. And Jesus says, you got to think bigger. You just got to think so much bigger than that. Moving from fishing to being a fisher of men means you take your eyes off of the here and now and you think about the what is yet to come. Moving from fishing to being a fisher of men means you don't just focus on what is, but you start to think about what could be. Moving from fishing to being a fisher of men means you move away from your vision only on your own needs and concerns to the needs and concerns of those around you. It means from going to being from selfish to selfless. Drop whatever it is that's consuming your life right now and come and follow Jesus. Because that thing is ripping away your life. And Jesus wants to give it back to you. Now some of you really need that invitation right now. If I were to spend some time with you throughout the course of the week, chances are a majority of your time and your energies are focused on sex, success, or stuff. And Jesus says, drop your nets 
drop your nets and come follow me. Now, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. There's nothing evil about sex or success or stuff, but they aren't the entirety of your life, and yet you're making them such. All you're focused on are your nets, cleaning the nets, washing the nets, throwing the nets out, putting the nets away. You go to bed, you do everything again the next day with the nets. Drop the nets. It's time to follow Christ. He's got something very different in mind for you. So secondly, an invitation from Christ means that we move away from assuming that we know what's best for us to allowing God to show us what's best for us. Most of us have a plan, don't we? Maybe two or ten of them. A plan as to what our life will look like in the future. It includes maybe how you're going to work up the ladder, what you're going to save each year, the number you're going to hit for retirement, what the nicest old folks home on wheels looks like for you. I don't know what your plan includes. And plans are good, don't get me wrong. But how often do you ask? How often do you give God your plan and say, blow it up if that's what you want? Here it is, here's my baby, here's my little plan. Blow it up if that's what you want. If that's what you think is best, then destroy my plan. Folks, the disciples go from ordinary, average, unschooled fishermen to the leaders of the known world, to street evangelists who preach a message that reaches all the way to Rome. You talk about a midlife crisis. You talk about something crazy happening to change the course of your life. This is it. They all had plans in mind, I'm sure, but they allowed God to interrupt the plans. It seems as if he wanted to take and use and utilize all the skills and things they had learned as fishermen, and he said, that was great, that was a season, and now I'm gonna use all of that for kingdom work. I'm gonna use everything you've learned thus far, and I'm gonna use it for eternal purposes. Proverbs 19.21 says this, a man may have many plans in his heart, but the Lord's purpose is the one that always wins out in the end. You can have a lot of plans, and it's okay to have them. We've been given a mind and a brain and an intellect for a reason. Make plans, but be okay with God interrupting your plans. Be okay with God coming in in the middle of all your plans and saying, wait, what? What is this? I never, oh, really? No, that's crazy. Yeah, could it be? I guess I could try. Oh, oh I don't know. Oh, duh. Right, you've received those kind of invitations from God before and they're crazy, they're scary, they're hard to make sense of. But ask Abraham, ask Moses, ask Peter. Each of them had a plan. And even some old guys way down the line in their life, they were open to God completely changing the plan if that's what he thought was best. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Let's say you have a passion and a plan for science and for medicine and you want to pursue your doctorate and become a family practitioner or an ER doc, that is great. Please pursue that with all of your heart, but be open to God maybe changing your plan. Be open to him using your training, your education, your passion for eternal purposes. You thought family practice in Littleton. He's thinking medical missions in Africa. See, you thought maybe I can help somebody's arm or heart, and Jesus said, no, no, I want you to fix the soul of your clients. You have the ability, physician, to heal the entire person. Would you take that risk with me? Allow God to take you from here, which is where you thought you should be, to way over here. Drop your nets. Come follow me. 
Maybe you have a passion and desire to be a mommy, be a daddy, start a family. And it's great. I encourage you to work towards that goal and to do what is necessary to become pregnant and to start that family. But be open to God changing and interrupting your plans because he might. You know, you thought a little unit, four people over here, and he's thinking, no, 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 I need you to start an adoption center. Oh, you thought you would do this kind of stuff over here with two kids. I want you to foster care 20 kids. Drop your nets and come follow me. You thought this, a home with kids. I want you to actually reach out to homeless kids. Allow God to change your plan if he wants. You're here, and God says, I need you over here. You want to be there, I need you to go over there. And again, this doesn't happen all the time, and you don't go looking for it. It just kind of happens. It just, you just stumble into it. I just hope that you'll be open to it when you do. And finally, an invitation from God, the invitation of Christ to come and follow him, is an invitation to move from a safe, predictable, comfortable world, a world that we make, into the unknown, uncomfortable, unpredictable world that God is making as we speak. I don't want to mince words here. Dropping your nets, dropping everything you've ever known, all of your hopes, a dream, a goal, a passion, how you spend your time, dropping all of that and following Christ is hard. And it hurts. And typically, you drop them with lots of tears and a little frustration. I don't want to drop these nets. Dropping the nets isn't just this wonderful, idealistic type of experience. Although they smell like fish, and although we know we could be doing something better, although we know that our life could be something more, it's hard to let go of those things, isn't it? Ending that relationship, changing that job, reaching out to that person, pursuing that new degree, putting a stop to that addictive behavior, moving cities, giving away your stuff, that's hard. We'd be fools to say otherwise. And yet, and yet, there's just something about Jesus There's just something about him that when he gives me that invitation, even though it's crazy, even though it's hard, I'm like the the, the 12 disciples at the beginning. I kind of want to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like, and I like my nets, and they've they've served me well so far, but but Jesus, there's just something about you that makes me want to drop it all and just go hard with you and go hard after you. I hope that you've experienced that same thing deep down in my heart. I think dropping everything for that man is actually what I've been made to do. Jesus says it over and over and over again. Die to yourself. Die to the world. Carry your cross. What he's trying to say is let go of the things that are so important to you. Let me have them. And I will re-envision them, rethink them, repurpose them, and I will give them back to you in a way that you never even dreamed was possible. All right, so what do we do with all this stuff? What are some of our takeaways? Three things, and we'll send you out to do it. The first is I want you this week to be on the lookout for God's invitation. Again, I don't know how it's gonna look. I don't know when it's gonna come. I don't know if it'll be loud and ornate and over the top. I don't know if it'll be a little handwritten note, little sticky note. I don't know how it will come, but I imagine that Christ in each of our lives is walking past us right now and saying, hey, drop your net and come and follow me. So I want you to think about this week, pray about, and just be on the lookout for an invitation from God. It could be a new relationship, a deeper relationship, a new challenge, a new opportunity, a change in where you live, a change in where you work, a shift in your priorities. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know what it's going to look like or what he's going to ask you to do, but he's going to invite you into something. Be ready. Be ready for it. 
The second thing is, I think we need to extend the invitation of God to others, to those who are around us. That's what I love about kingdom invitations. Normally when you receive an invitation, there's kind of an unspoken rule, right? Like, hey, you were invited to the party, but Susie wasn't. Don't talk to Susie about the party. You don't talk about invitations you've received out of fear that others haven't received them. Any of you who have had a wedding reception know exactly how this goes. Becca and I had people show up to our wedding who we'd never even seen before. Like, oh, I'm Jill's brother's sister-in-law. Like, who's Jill? And when you're paying by the head, uh uh-uh, you're not invited. But normally with the invitations, right, it's like, oh, it's just for me. It's my invitation. I need to be quiet. I'm not sure if anybody else has received it. The opposite is true with kingdom invitations. God's like, hey, I invited you. Now spread the word. Everybody else is invited too. You don't have to worry that they have not received it. God frees you and invites you to tell everybody else you know. This isn't an exclusive invite. It's not an elitist invite. The invitation is unlimited. Jesus wants one of our favorite words to be come. Come. You see, church, people are invited every day into things, aren't they? Come try this. Come smoke this. Come hit this. Go faster. Stay longer. There's all these invitations to do things in this world. The question is, will kingdom invites be more frequent? Will kingdom invites be better invites than the world's invites? And that's up to us. The invite's been given. Come and follow me. It's up to us now to spread those kingdom invites out. I remember the invitation I was was given by my aunt to read the Bible for the first time. What an invitation that was. Remember the invitation I was given by this cute blonde girl to go to church with her. What a crazy invitation that was. I remember the invitation I was given by Rick at his dining room table to accept Christ into my heart. What an invitation that was. Remember the invitation God gave me to go into full-time ministry. Like, I don't know. I remember the invitation I was given by the search team here at West Bowles to come check out Littleton, Colorado. These invitations are kingdom invitations and they change lives. I pray that you will receive one, and I pray that you will extend one. And then finally, would you respond to Christ's invitation this morning if you haven't done so already? You see, Christ is calling you. He's inviting you into a relationship with him and with your maker, with your father. He wants you to come. And some of you have been kind of like, I don't know if I want to RSVP quite yet for that. Maybe. No, 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 no. It's time to say yes to that invite this morning. So during this last song, we have a really cool artistic expression of kind of what all this is, is, is doing and what it means. During that song, after the service, come and find me. Come and find one of the other pastors. And let's have you RSVP with a resounding yes to Christ's invitation to be a part of the kingdom. Respond yes to Jesus' invitation this morning. Don't leave here without doing that. Life is a lot like checking the mail. A single invitation can change things forever. That's a better way to say it, I think. Let me pray that over you, and we'll end this morning. Father, you are such a gracious, loving God, and we see that in so many ways, but we we really see it this morning through your invitations to us. Many of us remember when we first heard your voice, and we first heard that word, come, come up here, come up with me, come to church, come read my word, come meet my son, come be filled with my Holy Spirit, come. We just pray that that word, that invitation will just inundate 
and overwhelm this church this week. And would we not only hear and receive this invitation, God, would we extend it to everyone we meet? Come, drop the things of this world and follow Christ into a world that will last forever. Thank you for that invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.